The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Deborah Threadgill Edgerton, is a psychotherapist, spiritual teacher, and IEA-certified Enneagram practitioner, consultant, and coach. She's the founder and president of Trinity Transition Consultants and the author of No Justice, No Peace. That's K-N-O-W, Justice, K-N-O-W, Peace, a transformative journey of social justice, anti-racism, and healing through the power of the Enneagram. The book is listed in the Books We Love feature in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Deborah Edgerton, welcome to the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here today. Well, I'm very pleased that you're here because the book is dealing with, with Enneagram, obviously, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, but does it in a way that, and I hope this is true, well, if I can couch, I can hedge my bets and say that very few Enneagram books do, but I really was going to say no other Enneagram book does. And that is through this lens of anti-racism. So it's going to give this conversation a different slant than most Enneagram conversations have. And I'm sure that most of the people listening have some sense of what the Enneagram is, but I'm also sure that a lot of people listening don't. So let's start with two definitions. One, Give us your sense of what the Enneagram is and why it matters. And then, just to be on the safe side, give us your sense or your your understanding of what anti-racism is and why that matters. Well, the Enneagram is actually a psycho-spiritual tool. And every time I say the word tool, I feel like that's so inadequate for what it actually is. But it presents a nine-point map sort of of human psyche and those each of those nine points on the enneagram represent a personality archetype they are on the map you know one through nine no type is better or worse there so the numbers are value neutral and most importantly what the enneagram represents is a way that we have sort of disconnected, lost our connection to the divine. And the Enneagram is just so powerful in helping us see all of the ways that we have actually lost contact with our true self. So the Enneagram helps you to bring you back to what I always say not a version of yourself, but bring you back to your authentic self and your connection to God. Let me jump in there for a second, 
want to make two quick points before we get to your definition of anti-racism. Number one, let me just push back. Everybody knows that the number five is the better of the nine. That's just well, a given. Yes, because I, 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 you know, I'm, I, I'm a five. I'm, I'm <laughs> totally going to have to push back a little uh. bit because <laughs> everyone knows that the one is the starting number of the Enneagram. And we all know that there's only one way to do things. And that's <laughs> the one way, the right way. I, I may happen to be a one, but... <laughs> but that's irrelevant. You're, you're, not, uh, yeah. you're not biased. Okay. Right. No, I, I admit to being completely biased, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll you know, you're the guest. I don't want to pick a fight. So we'll go, we'll go with that. What's really interesting in the way you're understanding it, which is somewhat, I think, atypical, is that you're you're laying out this notion that the Enneagram tells us not who we are, but how we're distorted in our understanding of, of who we are in the sense of how we're disconnected from our sense of our own divinity. I think that's really important for people to keep in mind. Because a lot of people that I know who do the Enneagram, I just want to be the mo- the best, in my case, five. So the best mm-hmm. five, five I can be. But that's like saying I want to be the, the best distortion I can possibly be, as exactly. opposed to seeing the distortion and saying I want to be as least distorted as I can be. Am, am I right in what you're saying or did I mishear you? No, that is correct. And I think that for far too long, People studying the Enneagram have allowed themselves to get put into a box. The Enneagram is actually designed to do just the opposite. It is to free you from these patterns of fixation that we fall into. And it's to help you see how you have put yourself in the box. People also tend not to remember that we have access to all nine nine types. Now, as we're talking, you'll notice that it's my preference to use the word point or even energy because when people hear the word type, then they want to say, my Enneagram type is. But in reality, there is, there's an energy, of course, that is involved in each of these points of the Enneagram. And one of those energies dominates for each individual. So you have more of that. That particular energy radiates. That's the energy that you embody. That's the energy that you actually get tripped up in and we're I say you get stuck on the Enneagram as opposed to being able to move around fluidly and embody and embrace all that the Enneagram has to offer. Yeah, very helpful to use energy rather than type, which yes. you know, it's it's it sounds like a fixed a fixed thing. And so now let's go to the definition of of anti-racism and connect the two. Well, anti-racism is not saying that I'm not a racist. I I don't believe in racism. Anti-racism is actively taking a stand, not a position, but a stand against the 
systemic racism and the systemic structures that have been put in place that create the phenomenon of racism. You know, if you are not an anti-racism, an anti-racist, I am very sad to have to inform people that it is one of those things in life that if you're not against it, then in so many ways you are complicit with it. So anti-racism means taking a stand against racism and taking a stand in a very active and tangible way. You know, we've had, and I for the life of me, of course, I had it in my head who the guest was, but we've talked about anti-racism on this show before. And I remember her saying that black people can't be racist and that it's, it's more or less a white person's problem. But the way I'm hearing you say it, that isn't the case. So, so what do you think of that notion? I mean, can, can black people be racist? Well, racism is a power dynamic. So when someone says that Black people cannot be racist, it is taking under advisement and looking at the reality of what racism represents. It represents an oppressor and it represents an oppressed. So We have to look at the reality that when we talk about racism, we're talking about dominant norms. So the dominant cultural norm within a racist society is that if you do not have certain aspects of your being that are, say, white, male, heterosexual, these are what we call the dominant societal norms. And let's narrow it down a little bit. Let's say we're talking about the United States of America. This is the profile, more or less, of the oppressor. If you happen to be Black, male, and heterosexual, you fit the dominant norm in terms of being male and heterosexual. But if you're Black you hit a marginalized norm, which means that you do not have the same struct standing in the oppressor and oppressed sort of modalities that we look at. So can Black people be racist? Racism is a man-made construct, and it was made placing white people above black people in the hierarchy of race. Therefore, white people get to be, quote unquote, racist within their own structure that was created by white men. And it placed people who are of culture and of color in a lower category. So within that construct, of a man-made construct of racism, Black people cannot be racist. Okay, I understand that. I mean, race Mm -hmm. itself is is an invention. Exactly. Right, so it's a cultural cultural invention. In a a culture that doesn't have white people, you can still have the same 
oppressor oppressed dynamic. You just exactly. might call it something else. Exactly. And in, in, in many cultures around the world, we'll sometimes call it colorism. You know, we sometimes call it servitude. And depending upon where you are on the globe, it may take on a different name, a different moniker, a different texture. But sadly, I have to say that wherever we are in the world, we see this phenomenon of, of course, the oppressed and the oppressor. And for that, I, I tend to use the umbrella term of othering. So in every society, there are people who we other. I mean, as individuals, there are people that we other. And looking at who you as an individual actually other is one way that the Enneagram takes you into doing some of the deeper work to be able to recognize these things in yourself. Yeah, so let's go there. I mean, I'd love to spend I'd love to spend time, but we don't have it on on what it would mean to switch from a language of I'm not sure this is a good idea, but of anti-racism to anti-othering, which is is maybe a broader term. But let's just put that aside because I want to talk about the book. So, how does the Enneagram address this anti-racism issue or how, how does how does the Enneagram help me understand where I'm othering or and how I'm othering and how I can recognize it and, and stop doing it? Well, the because the Enneagram makes you look at yourself from the inside out, in the book, I outline what it looks like. And I do use the term othering as well as racism in the book. It helps you to look at what you look like if you are standing in a position of active othering, active racism, or if you're standing in the position of passive othering, passive racism, or if you are showing up as an ally or an advocate. And because we have what's known as the levels of development within the Enneagram, which identifies what people's behaviors show up looking like when you're operating at a healthy level of development within your personality type, an average level of development in your personality type or point, or an unhealthy level of development. I give examples of what that looks like for all nine types and all three of those categories. And to take it, you know, one step deeper, and I'm, I want to be mindful of my language for people who don't know all of the different elements of the Enneagram, but there is a term that we call the fixation, which is where you are sort of trapped in the patterns of behavior of your type. Um, when you can recognize from the examples that, wow, that sounds like me, then you can begin to do the work of looking at some of the early messages and messengers that you received in your life. You can look at who you grew up around and who you were taught 
to treat differently. You can look at when you are viewing media, who do you look at and feel a sense of connection and affinity with, and who you look at and feel no connection or feel uncomfortable with. So during the, through the course of the entire book, there's opportunities to dive into exploring some of the ways that you may have received messages that you didn't explore once you, you know, began the process of adulting. They're just things that got packed up for us and we carried that little bag of stuff out with us. And often we never open it and explore whether or not some of the information that we received early on was just not useful, not to mention not true. So let me, I don't want to put myself on the couch and get free (laughs) therapeutic advice from you, but I want to make this very practical. And and the, the Enneagram energy with which I am most familiar is my own, so that of a five. And one of the things I know about myself uh, and fits the the energy of a five is that I'm very abstract. I'm I'm into the intellect. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm a head type. Ideas matter to me more than anything else. And I'm wondering if one of the ways I can, as a five, delude myself into thinking I do not other people, and I know I do, but let's just pretend mm-hmm. I, I'm not aware of that. One way I can delude myself into thinking, hey, I don't see color. I don't, I'm not a racist. I don't other anybody, is to abstract the whole thing, to make it an intellectual exercise, to remove it from any practical matter and, and just just really make it an intellectual kind of thing. And, and let's assume I, I can do that and to say, oh, see, you know, I don't, I don't harbor any ideas that are, you know, any abstract ideas overtly racist, so therefore I'm not. Is, is that one way that the Enneagram would say, no, that's a blind spot, that's a distortion? Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Absolutely. For one thing, I would say that you have hit on something that is rather prevalent in society today, and that is that we tend to take information into our heads, and we are a bunch of talking heads. And we don't have just one center of intelligence. We actually have three centers of intelligence. So the Enneagram demonstrates how we have an intuitive wisdom that we identify as being the gut center. And there is also the wisdom of the heart and the heart center. 
And then there is the wisdom of the head center. When people rationalize and take something up at the head level only and think about it, that is one third of the equation. Because in reality, if we're not really connected in all of our centers, so I may look at someone and say, I don't see color. But my gut says, that's not true. I can tell that that person does not have the same skin color as me. And then my heart says, wow, am I treating people differently based on the color of their skin? And then I go up into my head and my head says, there's something that's not quite right about this. It's not adding up. I need to do a deeper exploration. So sometimes the idea pops into our heads, but if we don't filter it through our heart and we don't check out whether or not there's a gut knowing, a deep knowing that this is something that I need to explore or I need to understand at a deeper level. That's how we are able to abstract things because we have not actually taken it in with our whole being. We've only taken it in as a head issue. Right. You're you're talking about a healthy person. Yes. (laughs) You're not talking about me. Well, (laughs) you're talking about a healthy person. I happen to be the eternal optimist, and I believe that by the time I get finished talking to most people, if they weren't healthy when they began, they're going to be there. You know, I'm, 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 I'm sending you some energy that is just <laughs> one really, energy. Yes, one yes. energy. Yes. And, and it is, it is working right now on aligning those centers. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I hope that's, I hope that's good. I'll be rather than claim that I will be healthy by the end of the show. I'll be healthier. I'll go. I'll go. There with you that. go. There you go. So, so let me ask you something that that. Just, I'm just very curious about you. You write, and and this, this I think is is part of the Enneagram system that people are born with the dominant Enneagram energy. Is that am I fair in saying that? Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. At what age? And I'm just curious because I've got a, I've got two grandchildren. One's going to be seven, and one is about two months. At what age? Can someone who knows the Enneagram begin to detect what their dominant energy is? Well, you know, I I caution people about typing. Typing, yeah, I was going to say that. Typing, yes, their, their children too early on, because one of the things that I have observed over time is that you know, children seem to kind of go around the Enneagram, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're not as rigid as we are. And so, you know, we look at a little one, I, I know a couple of babies that I kind of believe are going to grow up to be eights, but um, I wouldn't put money on that because I have not been able to see the future and to see exactly how they're going to evolve. But I I can honestly say that if you are a parent and you know the Enneagram, you're going to recognize certain behaviors. Temperament. It's the temperament of your children that kind of gives you a little bit of a heads up. I have three children, all adults now, and 
you know, when I look at whether it was nature or nurture, there's no question that my children were born with a predisposition for a particular energy. And I can go back and I can see the formation and the evolution of that starting very early on and beginning to really take more definitive shape and form when they kind of reach the the age of reason around seven-ish. And then into their teen years, I was, you know, pretty clear on how how different these three children are. None of them have the same type, personality type. But uh, I always like to say, be open-minded and open-hearted as you observe the children. You're going to see things that you believe may be definite indicators of a certain energy, but it is not until that child becomes old enough to be able to actually look inward themselves and to recognize some of those behaviors and the connectedness towards a certain energy, that the type is going to accurately reveal itself. So it's almost as if you have to have enough experiences for the reveal to come. Moms and dads who know the Enneagram, I know many people who are pretty certain of what their kids are, and they are trying to work with that to help those children to be able to grow in a way that feeds their their spirit and nourishes them and allows them to grow as healthy twos, threes, fours, whatever they might happen to be. But the Enneagram journey is an individual journey inward for you to reveal and to discover who you are and how you show up in the world. And so, final point on this, I caution parents not to not to label, not to tell their children you're a whatever. Yeah, right. But, you know, you're hijacking their journey. You're hijacking it. Right, that's a great way of putting it. Don't don't hijack their journey. Exactly. Saying that that your energy or your dominant energy is I mean you're born with that that predilection. Mm-hmm. Does it? I mean it sounds like it has this biological component. Do you think it changes? Well, let me. I don't know if this is a good way to put it, but you're an African American woman. Is it? Mm-hmm. And and now you know you said you're a one. So is it? Is your experience? No, that's not the right way to put it. Is is a one? Is it? Is a how about this? Is an African American cisgendered female one different from a white transgendered female one? Well, the behaviors, some of the behaviors may be different. But the energy itself? But the energy itself is not different. Okay, that's really you know, interesting. Yeah, the energy, you know, the energy of the one is an energy of a one. And just as the energy of every point is the energy of that point, it will show up in different bodies, in different cultures, in different places. And what we're speaking to when we talk about how is it different is 
in the, the representation of cultural patterns. So, for instance, we have the, the really terrible nature of stereotyping where an African-American male, and God forbid he would be an eight, it's, it's the angry Black man or it's the angry Black woman. This is one of the reasons that, you know, really I've written this book for people to do this work, because we take those stereotypes and we even extend them out into the Enneagram. And we look at people's bodies, and sometimes we will make assumptions about someone not really based in fact, in terms of who they are, but in terms of how they appear. So people who are fearful of Black men might experience them as having eight energy. And that could be the kindest, gentlest two on the Enneagram, you know, sort of map. But a stereotype has been formed and therefore This kind, gentle Black man may be seen as an angry Black man, therefore is an eight. I've seen that in doing training for people in organizations. I've also seen the unfortunate stereotyping of a two as that has to be a woman, someone who is going to be kind and a caregiver, and this happens to be more associated with the feminine energy, and therefore sometimes people don't recognize two as in, in the two energy in a man. So we, we really have to be careful about that because the Enneagram is not immune to stereotyping. And that happens in particularly different cultures where people don't recognize the cultural patterns. Right. But you can have an African-American eight Mm -hmm. who's viewed by, let's say, a white person as angry, but that's their projection. That's their othering process. That's their racism. But from the uh, this is a question. From the point of view of the African American eight, that anger is a projection that they don't necessarily experience. They experience it from the other person, but they don't. Ex- they don't feel themselves. But can it be something that, because they feel it as a projection from the other, that they then that they then violate their own. This is a stupid way of saying it. They violate their own eighthood in order to not trigger the other? Well, you know, you have to be very present in order to have that level of care, compassion, and understanding of what's happening with the other person. So, yes, you can have an African-American male who does happen to be an eight that recognizes that someone is projecting their own stereotype onto them, and that can be very triggering. However, if you have done your own inner work and you are very present in that moment, you have the capacity to recognize that that is a projection. 
And you have the opportunity at that time to maintain your level of health and well-being in that moment and not allow that projection to trigger you. Projections like that are triggering to all people. When, when people take their stuff, their stereotypes, their biases, and they lay them right out on you, it really doesn't matter who you are. You are subject to be triggered by that, particularly when you know that it's a stereotype and it doesn't apply. But this is why in order for us to have more peace in the land and more unity and connection, if everyone isn't doing their work, we're triggering each other constantly, constantly, because we're prone to projecting our stuff onto other people. I talk about how hurt people hurt people. And it is from our own woundedness that this projection comes. So that particular African-American, you know, and let's make him six foot four, great big guy, you know, personality larger than life is recognizing that, hmm, okay, there it is again, because it will not be the first time that it has happened. If that human has done the inner work and has the capacity to remain present and grounded and centered, they can see that projection for what it is and actually respond in a way that can transform what could have been a very ugly encounter. But the question is, how many people are really doing their work? You know? Right, 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 right. Boy, Deborah, this is fascinating. I don't know if you made me any healthier now that we're at the end of our time together, but you've made me a lot wiser. This was really amazing conversation. And hopefully it encourages a lot of people to go out and buy the new book. Our guest today, Deborah Threadgill Edgerton, is the author of No Justice, No Peace, A Transformative Journey of Social Justice, Anti-Racism, and Healing Through the Power of the Enneagram. The book is listed in the Books We Love feature in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about Deborah's work at DebraEgerton.com. And I just want to thank you, Deborah, for really talking with us about this amazing book, but even more deeply about your, your truly wise understanding of how Enneagram works in this whole process of freeing ourselves from racism and, and othering. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you are not already a subscriber to Spirituality Health Magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. Again, Deborah, thanks for being with us on Spirituality and Health. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. 
Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.